Hey there, and welcome to episode 53 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. This is Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 53 of the podcast, we are traveling to the Philadelphia area of Pennsylvania to chat with a gentleman who is highly educated, very successful in his uh, mental health career, and uh, also has quite a resume when it comes to adaptive sports for the blind and visually impaired. And so I think you'll enjoy just the variety of sports that we get into, uh, from his Paralympic experience to a lot of local and uh, regional uh, experience in different events as well. So let's go ahead and dive right into episode 53. Okay, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Dr. Andre Watson, and Dr. Watson is a clinical psychologist and also a very accomplished uh, multi-sport adaptive athlete. Dr. Watson, welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Thank you so much, Greg. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to get this opportunity to talk to you and your listeners about being blind, but also more importantly about functioning and progressing as someone with a visual impairment. And I hope people today uh, are encouraged by what we talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did want to mention that we had connected uh, back in the summer of 2021 for an ACB virtual uh, event. Uh, so really, you know, appreciate you joining me again and then kind of reconnecting here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So just to kick us off here, uh, Dr. Watson, let's just talk about your early years where you were born and then grew up and kind of your formative years. Well, I am from West Philadelphia, born and raised, and uh, Philadelphia is my home. And I grew up here and I love Philadelphia. And uh, as a kid, uh, I enjoyed, I loved playing outside. I enjoyed playing outside. I loved uh, running and jumping. I was an active child. And I was told when I was growing up uh, that I could be anything. And my mother, who's a retired Philadelphia school teacher, was all about raising me to understand the benefits of education. So up until the age of seven, the world was my oyster. Um, and then after I was um, diagnosed as being legally blind at the age of nine and totally blind at the age of 11, things changed. For sure. Yeah. And I'm definitely curious what uh, what caused your visual impairment. I had multiple retina detachments and we're not exactly sure how that happened. What I do remember is that I was a rough and tumble kind of kid. I, I like to play in the schoolyard. I like to to wrestle with my classmates. We, we would pretend to hit each other and fight and roll around. And I remember getting poked in the eye and I rubbed my eye and I went to the nurse and I said, you know, my eyes itching is blurry. Um, and, uh, she said, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And, uh, and it, it felt, I did feel some discomfort, but my vision still seemed fine. Uh, and then not long after that, I started to see spots uh, in my right eye, uh, and I didn't know what that was, and uh, told my mother, and uh, we weren't sure what it was, and then I wasn't able to see. So that took place probably over a couple of days, and I ended up going to the doctor. I had an infection. I had pink eye, and uh, I was treated for it. But it was such a severe case 
Um, and after that, uh, I started to have retina detachments in that same eye. Uh, and we really don't understand that because pink eye is a common childhood condition. And then I started to have retina detachments in one eye. I had probably had uh, somewhere around a half a dozen surgeries to repair and to try to prevent further detachments. And then my left eye started to experience detachments. So uh, so it was a long road of a, probably about, I think, about 13 operations um, by the time I was 12 or 13. Wow. That's quite a, quite a slew. Yeah. Quite a process there. Yes. And so it was, it sounds like it was a fairly sudden thing, you know, going from being fully sighted to visually impaired and then totally blind. Right. Well, it was, it was a surprise. Sure. It was definitely something that we, that none of us expected and children are resilient. Um, and I was always hopeful, but my, my mother, my family, uh, they were very afraid for what that would mean for me and how my life would change. Right. Just the fear of the unknown, obviously. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So as far as uh, your education, so when you did, when you did lose your vision, um, did you stay in a mainstream school or just talk to me about your, your early education, you know, perhaps middle and high school years? Well, after I started having problems with my eyes, it was recommended that I stay home to heal. And the school had assigned me a homebound teacher who would come and visit maybe once a week, give assignments, check on my assignments. And that, that went on for a few months in my fourth grade year of school. Hmm. I had already been having problems at the end of the second grade and throughout my third grade year. Uh, and I missed a lot of school. I went to Commodore John Barry in West Philadelphia and I had great friends and, oh my goodness. You know, even though my family was concerned about my eyesight, I missed my friends. For sure. I missed running. I missed playing. I missed the activity. And then when it was suspected that my vision had decreased, decompensated significantly, we had someone come out to the house and they gave they, they uh, held up a few things for me to identify and I couldn't see any of it. Hmm. And they said, we think he would qualify for our school, which was the Overbrook Educational Center, which wasn't far from me. And that actually ended up being a blessing because the Overbrook Educational Center was a school that had special ed classes for students with visual impairments, but it also had a mainstream program where kids were being mainstreamed into. And the school was run by a woman who was also blind, Marilyn Mahler, who was amazing. Hmm because she was capable, independent. She held a, she had high standards for students and for teachers. And that school ended up being one of the best schools in the, I know in the city, in the state, and probably the country. And that was a great thing for me. We didn't know it at the time, but I ended up going from a classroom of 30 kids in West Philadelphia being lost in the shuffle to going to this school with talented staff 
and a wonderful environment of a classroom of like eight children. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Uh, and in that classroom setting for three years, I learned Braille. I learned how to use adaptive computers, which were pretty new at that time. There was one device that I used where a Braille writer would actually sit on top of a, a base and you would Braille out your work and the base would was connected to a printer and what you typed would come out on the printer. Huh. And that was the beginning. And I learned how to, uh, how, to, how to type. I learned on a manual typewriter how to type. And I had a really tough teacher. Uh, Dolores Peters, and she was tough, but it was great because now everything I do is built upon my ability to type into keyboard. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I love computers and I was so excited about adaptive technology that it really helped me to learn skills, blindness skills, so that eventually I would be able to be mainstreamed when I got to high school. Oh, I see. Yes. Interesting. So then kind of transitioning on, so did you actually get to, you know, attend a mainstream high school? Yes. Yes, I did. And I had a lot of help. I had a lot of help in the years before that. I had a lot of encouragement, a wonderful Braille teacher, wonderful teachers in middle school, Everyone worked as a team to get the best out of me. And I didn't always like it, but I was able, I, I did well. And I ended up my, my, the principal had recommended that I apply to one of the best schools in the city. Uh, and that school was central high school mm. and uh, central, of course, didn't have any, uh, they weren't known for accepting blind kids. I believe there was a student before me who was visually impaired, but it was rare. And she wrote, wrote me a recommendation. I was accepted. And that was another wonderful experience for me. Um, it wasn't easy, though. I did get involved. I tried to be involved as much as I could. And uh, my family supported me. And I'm from a family that when they, when they support you and love you, they feed you. And I ended up gaining a lot of weight, uh, especially with the medications I was on, too. I was on prednisone a lot. And my mother, who is a retired coach and physical education teacher, had raised me to enjoy and to like sports. Sure. And a colleague of hers, Mr. Stern, told her, well, he said, well, Gladys, you know, they're, they're actually blind wrestlers. So if he wanted to get involved in something physical, maybe he could wrestle. Hmm. And in the 10th grade, I went up to my wrestling coach and I said, and I was nervous. And I said, sir, um, I'd like to, Mr. Flaxman, I'd like to join the wrestling team. And he looked at me and he, he said, well, one year, we had to wrestle against the Overbrook School for the Blind, which is a private school for the blind. And he said, 
And we thought we were going to really beat up on these poor blind kids. I had <laughs> students thought that they were going to win. In and, the bag. Yep. <laughs> yes. They had a win in the bag. And then when they left, uh, he said, I had a kid in a neck brace, another kid in an arm sling, <laughs> another kid on crutches. And they, he said, you want to join my team? I, I, I'll see you Monday. <laughs> wow. That's definitely unusual, you know, for a mainstream coach like that to to immediately yes. accept you <laughs> yes mm. yes i mean there's been so much grace uh you know in my life where people actually gave me a chance sure sure wow so you did wrestle then for several years in high school i wrestled uh from 10th to 12th grade nope. um i ended up losing about 40 pounds <laughs> um i I uh, I be I was third team all public and sportsman of the year in my twelfth grade year, and ended up going to the University of Pittsburgh and walking on for one year, which that was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't have a lot of a lot of experience, but it was a great time, and I really felt so proud of myself to push myself to do what a lot of people said I couldn't do. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. To be able to compete, to, to play division one athletics, you know, as a totally blind individual, definitely rare. Yes. And, and for, for a city boy like me from Philadelphia who had, who just started wrestling at the age of 15, that was a big deal. A lot of the guys that I met had been wrestling since they were seven. That's true. Much um, more experience and, and just time spent. Absolutely. So, I, I gained a lot of ground and the coach, he said, I, I think I want you to come back. We want you to come back. When, when I first joined, he said, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> I don't know. Are you sure you want to do this? I said, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. And uh, at the end of that year, I remember thinking, this is, this is so difficult. I've had my experience. It was much different than high school sports. Mm. And there's so much more attention on the kids who had the, the scholarships. So I said, this was, this was good, but I, I, I stopped. And he said, I, I want you to come back and join. And that meant a lot. Um, see, it's, he saw my growth. But that wasn't the end of sports for me. It was just the end of – it was just a transition to other bigger things. Sure, sure. And uh, we can definitely get into – I know you competed in goalball for a long time and then very successful at that. Uh, certainly the martial arts we'll get into as well. Uh, but just to kind of wrap up your, as far as your higher education, your career. Um, so I know, I'm, as I mentioned at the top, you work as a clinical psychologist. And I'm just curious about yes. uh, your, your pursuit of that career and, you know, your higher education and what made you want to, to go into that field. My mother, she was very daring. She pushed me, but she, but she was also uh, very afraid for me. So she didn't want me going out a lot when I was a teenager. So she got me my own phone line. Hmm. And in the 90s, we didn't have cell phones. And right. We would get our own phone line. And uh, she got me that. And uh, I talked on the phone all the time. And she said to me one day, I overheard you talking. I think you might, you know, she said, I think, I think you might want to be a psychologist one day. I said, what is that? Uh, she says, well, people, you know, you can help people. You learn how to help them and understand them. And uh, previous to that, she had always encouraged me to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, and then before that, when I was sighted, of course, she like any proud mother, she, she told me to be a doctor. Right. Uh, and uh, she said, well, you could be a doctor of psychology. And uh, I ended up going to taking a, a AP course in high school and I liked it. Ended up majoring in in psychology in college and did pretty well in my courses. And then I had to take the GREs, yep. uh, which was which was a big mess because there were no accommodations for it. Nothing set in stone. And I didn't know what to expect. Uh, and I didn't do well when I first took them. And when I applied, uh, a university told me we we can't admit you because we don't know how to program for you being visually impaired. But also, you didn't do well on your verbal section of the GREs. Mm. So that's the reason why we can't admit you. Well, for the verbal section of the GREs, they were all, it was all read to me. And that was really difficult. You can't scan, you can't go back, you can't, you can't rewind or fast forward. Oh, yeah. you, they ask you really detailed questions. Sure, you got to be able to remember and recall. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I ended up studying with a guy, um, ended up getting an internship after I graduated. Um, and, a, and a guy, oh man, I don't remember his name. He was studying for his as well. He was cited. And he said to me, while he was reading me passages, he said, you're sitting there passively just listening to me. Why aren't you telling me to speed up or slow down? Or why aren't you telling me to you know, to read faster or slower? Why aren't you asking me questions? He said, when you take this test, you have to be aggressive with your reader. Hmm. You have to be interactive with, with the material. And that was really helpful. I also started to uh, do more uh, reading on my own to try to enhance my vocabulary. And I raised my score. And so the school wasn't allowed. They, they didn't deny me that second time. And this is in the late 90s. So there were things going on then that probably would not go on now Sure. in terms of denying a student admission because they're blind or even saying it. No one would ever say such a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So ultimately you were able to, to pass that exam. Yes. And, and I, I just did well enough. I did really well in the math and no one would, they it probably wouldn't expect somebody on the math to do well. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I loved math and, uh, mm. and then I did well enough on the reading, uh, the, the verbal section. So yeah, I did well, I was accepted. And, um, once I was accepted into Widener University's program for their doctorate of psychology, things really went well for me. Um, I had to be an advocate for myself. I had to speak up when I felt like teachers weren't, um, you know, really teaching towards my strengths. Sure. Um, I had to be, uh, I had, I had to let them know what I needed in order to, to be successful and at that time, no books were on PDF or anything like that. I had to scan all of my books and sit, stand in front of my scanner and flip every page. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, that was, I mean, you you think, I was exhausted after scanning. Very tedious. It's like doing, oh, yeah. yes, very tedious. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like you understand what that's like. For sure. Uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
later on, they did get me some help. A guy, good friend of mine, George Collins, who um, who started to scan work for me, um, which took a huge burden off of my shoulders. But I needed to be an, my advocate and my blindness skills had to be had to be good. <laughs> I had to be able to do computer work on my own. I had to be able to travel. I traveled a few days a week from West Philadelphia to Chester which is about an hour and a half away mm. on public transportation. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, the things we do when we're young. Uh, sure. Changing buses um, and then just the whole, the whole nine, right? <laughs> it, exactly. I took a bus, I took the elevated train, and then I took another bus for about 30 or 40 minutes. So it was a long ride there and back home. And it was not easy. Um, it wasn't easy at all. But I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed the experience. And that's what's really important when people are thinking about, well, what am I going to do when I grow up? Or what do I want to do if I have a visual impairment? Well, you have to do something that you like and something you're good at. And that's what I tell people. Find something you like and something you're good at. If it's something that you're not good at and you like it, that might not be a good fit. And if say there's something that you're good at, but you don't like it, that might not be a good fit. So my mother was wise when she recommended that I look into psychology. Absolutely. Yo, mom knows best, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, so then I know you have worked, you know, as we've mentioned, as a psychologist, uh, just talk to me about how long you've, you've been in the field now. And I'm also curious about, uh, just kind of the accessibility of the the position and, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to counseling and communication and are there any different mm-hmm. techniques that you might use uh, in your work? Well, that's that. Those are great questions. And I probably could talk your listeners ears <laughs> off uh, for days. Um, so so I graduated from graduate school in 2004 and I was licensed in 2007 and I've I've been you know practicing as a licensed psychologist for 14 years now. Wow. Um and uh I've worked with families, with kids uh in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia. Um I've worked for uh Community Behavioral Health, which is an insurance company uh, for low-income and vulnerable populations. Hmm. Um, I've worked in community centers. Um, I've worked with other disabled people. I've had experiences, many, many experiences working with other blind people uh, and helping them on their road to recovery uh, and independence. And, uh, and I have now my own private practice. Uh, I've always had a little bit of a private practice since, uh, while, even while I was training, but now I have my own, have my own office, which I've had for about five years now. I actually have a couple of interns and, uh, I do some evaluations, uh, and work a lot with kids who are autistic. Oh, wow. Um, Very interesting. So Yes. So I make recommendations for services. I can, I act a lot as a, as a consultant for parents and for those that are working with kids on the spectrum. And, uh, and I, I do a little bit of work as an expert 
witness to talk about the adjustment to blindness process for those um, who who may have lost their sight due to medical negligence. I see. Wow, that's quite a variety of you know pots you've had your hand in, so to speak. Yes, yes. Which keeps you know any any clinician, whether you be a psychologist or a clinical social worker or a counselor, it's best to have variety uh, in your work. Uh, one for multiple income streams, but also to keep your job fresh, just feel renewed and not to get burnt out. Absolutely. Very well said. Okay, let's uh, let's transition over to adaptive sports now. And so I know we talked about wrestling and kind of the, the mainstream uh, environment that you were in as a wrestler. Um, so as far as goalball, is that kind of the, the first adaptive sport, you know, specifically for the blind that you did play? Yes. Yes. And it was great because I met with a longtime friend, Bob, two two long-term friends, uh, Bob and Sue Lichtenfels in Pittsburgh and uh, Mike Yance when I was in, uh, and also Bill. When I was in uh, Pittsburgh, I found out that there were a number of students there who were blind and very capable, smart, and athletic. And that was great for me to meet people that I felt like I had things in common with. And they said, you may want to come out to play goalball. And uh, I had a little bit of experience with it when I was about 10 or so. Hmm. And uh, and I, I remember saying to the coach, Mr. Griffin at Overbrook, I said, I said, I want to do this. This is fun. He said, sometimes people even go to the Olympics for this. I said, wow. <laughs> Um, and I remember having that conversation with him when I was about, I think about 11 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I remember him asking me, you can't see that ball. Can you? I said, no, I can't see it. Um, so yeah, so I got involved with goalball, which is the only sport designed in the world for people with a visual impairment. And it came, it grew out of, um, uh, out of Germany, uh, for world war two vets, who were blind. Interesting. And yes. Hmm. And, uh, and so it, the ball has bells in it and it's about the size of a basketball, but it's a little plush. It's not as hard as a basketball. Sure. And, um, and so I got involved with Bob and Sue, and then I got connected with a Philadelphia team, um, with Greg Guntarek, um, and John Mulhern and Daryl Green and Steve Mulhern and Darren and uh, Bernard and a whole bunch of guys here, uh, John Sutton, some who are uh, with us and some are not with us right now. Hmm. Um, but uh, they were like family. And um, and uh, and we had so much fun. Uh, and uh, we we had we had a great time and i traveled all over the us and even tra- we traveled to canada and uh we even traveled to south america mm-hmm. i made the us team and uh and it was great we won three championships um in wow. yeah 99 2000 and 2002 um and uh but you know the most important thing about the goalball was the social interaction for you sure. know, it was a it was a time where people didn't have to worry about performing in front of sighted people or showing, 
you know, that you were capable. Uh, you didn't have to explain, you didn't have to prove anything. Um, and, uh, we were all friends and we watched each other's back. We, we saw the best in each other. So, uh, goalball was great for my development because I didn't have a lot of interaction with anybody visually impaired after I was 14, uh, when I was mainstream. So, um, by the time I was 18 and got back involved with goalball, that was really great for me. And goalball was wonderful. And at the same time I was doing goalball, I was doing Tang Sudo. Oh, wow. Um, and did that for five years with Greg Guntarek and Darren Daly and John Mulhern. And the school ended up having, you know, it had to be closed. And uh, just I was, I was one step away from getting my black belt. Mm-hmm. Um, the teacher, Gwen Smith, had a daughter who was intellectually disabled, but she was also blind. And so she wanted to, it was her dream to teach a class for blind students. And she totally was open-minded, just like Mr. Flaxman in wrestling, just like my principal, you know, just like, uh, you know, all the other people along the way, they just saw an opportunity for me. And, uh, and she, she just, she just, taught us how to do karate <laughs> and we use bells. We use uh, muscle memory. We learned kicks, punches, forms. Mm. Um, we broke boards and we even sparred against each other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was, it was amazing. And uh, there's no set curriculum for it. It just took somebody to have to be a little creative and safe and, uh, and courageous. Right. Definitely a, a perfect recipe right there. Yep. Thinking outside the box and, you know, like yes. you said, courageous, just not, not worrying about, oh, this could happen or so-and-so could get hurt or that, right. having that attitude. So important. Well, and I'm glad you said that because that's, that's a big part of some of the barriers that that's that's a huge barrier for people that are visually impaired and it might not even be the person that's visually impaired it may be other people that have the access to sports or the access to opportunity sure that don't even try to introduce that to someone who's blind because they think oh this will be too much or this will be this is not safe um you know, I said my mother was a physical education teacher. She always believed in the underdog. Uh, you know, her teams, she never quit on her team. So it was perfect that I had a mother who didn't give up on the underdog. And uh, and I and along my way, people like Gwen Smith said, I want to teach these guys how to do karate. And I was able to do, you know, all the kicks and the punches and the spins and jumps like everybody else. And she was able to show us how to do it. Right. That's that definitely takes a, a special person. Yes. She made us do push-ups on our knuckles. <laughs> and oh, she didn't feel sorry for us at all. No way. Right. And if we were we were out of line and we didn't say yes, ma'am, or no ma'am, we had to drop and do push-ups. <laughs> she wasn't easy on us at all. Yep. Nope. But it sounds like you learned, you know, so much as well from that experience. Yes. Sure. And then, uh, so was it judo? Is that what you then transitioned into? Yes, yes. So once the school 
you know, we had some hard times at the school. Um, I ended up um, meeting uh, Sensei Mark Vink, um, who wanted to start a program for visually impaired uh, judo players hmm. and um, in Philly. And we, we recruited a couple of the goal ball guys to get involved with that. Brian, Steve, and uh, another guy, Manir, um, and Bernard, and we all got involved and, uh, and, uh, I liked it. It was better than the karate because there were actually opportunities for me to compete. Sure. And I was able to use my, my wrestling background, which I loved. And so I, uh, so it ended up being a great fit for me. And judo is a wonderful fit for anybody who's blind or visually impaired. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about, it's not, it's not kicks and punches. Like some people think it's, it's a lot of using someone else's momentum and their force against them. So it's, you gotta, you gotta be able to feel, uh, balance and off balance. You gotta be able to feel it. You don't have to see, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I was on the fast track was fighting a lot. Um, once my, you know, once my coaches, uh, Mark Vink and Paul Latimer saw that I had some potential. We were fighting a lot, going to lots of tournaments, hmm. uh, ended up, um, uh, joining the USA blind judo team, uh, which is at that time was being, um, rebuilt. And, uh, there was an opportunity for me, you know, it was just an, it was just a, a great opportunity. I don't know if there would have been before that. Uh, and, uh, and ended up making it to the 2008 Paralympics in Beijing. Oh, sure. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. Let's definitely talk about the highest, you know, level in the world. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And y- you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, most of my fights were against sighted people, hmm. um, to get ready. Uh, and when I went to Beijing, man, those guys were tough. <laughs> those guys were tough and just as competitive as any elite athlete uh that i faced here Mm -mm. um i did not place Uh, i gave i gave a couple of people a good run and i actually went to beijing um maybe six days after i got married oh wow um yes and you know it just turned out that we were planning a wedding didn't think I was going to make it, ended up making it. And, uh, my wife, I, I just knew my wife was going to call off the wedding and leave me, <laughs> but she said, Oh, don't worry. I got my whole life with you. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that was, that was great. She, uh, she supported me through that. Um, and, uh, being there, it was electric, right? It was huge. So many people, People chanting USA, USA, sure. um, people from all over the world chanting their own uh, countries and um, and singing their own anthems. And let me tell you, one of the best times I had during international competition was when when the competition was over and the teams were sitting down eating. Uh, this wasn't at the Olympics. This was probably at the World Championships. Uh, we were all sitting down eating, having a good time. And uh, the night, you know, the, the I guess the last night. 
And going around the room, we went around the room at first chanting our own country, like USA, USA, USA. Mm -hmm. And then another country, you know, Germany would chant, do their chant. And then France would do their chant. And then it got to a point where people were chanting other countries names oh cool so then there were other countries chanting usa <laughs> and then we mm. were chanting germany and somebody else was chanting you know and wow what a wonderful experience an experience of just uh camaraderie amongst other blind people understanding that um that we were that we were equal um, that in that moment we were celebrating each other, uh, and that we were all, you know, uh, in one pursuit of living life in spite of having a disability or whatever people had, uh, you know, would say about you or against you. Sure. And so that was special. Oh yeah. What a fascinating environment that must've, must've been to, to be in. Yes. Absolutely. It was great. Um, and, uh, and so I'm so thankful for, you know, my life has just been a life of opportunities and people having the grace and having the open mind uh, to help. But, you know, I say this not for myself, but for other people. My mother pushed me, so I don't, I'm not allergic to hard work. Hmm. Um, and when people see you work hard, they will work hard right alongside of you. And so I say to, you know, your listeners, if there are things you want to do, you work hard and people will notice and it'll be frustrating at times. You will be rejected. People will tell you they don't think you can do it. But if you know how to work harder than the person next to you, it'll be noticed. You know, I was a kid growing up that I you know, whether it was in a classroom, I was the kid staying up late to study. I was the kid that made a sacrifice. If I was the athlete, I was the athlete that was trying to find ways to, to do an extra workout. Sure. Um, and so, unfortunately, that's what's required at this point. If you have a visual impairment, you have to be ready to put in the work. That's a, that's a shame. Um, but that's the truth right now right very wise words i appreciate that dr watson i also did want to ask you about uh, audio darts which i did have a chance to play at uh, one of the acb conventions <laughs> <laughs> and yeah talk to me about just how you first found out about it how you got involved yes well uh i have to be thankful to greg uh Gunteric, who was one of the people that introduced me to goalball um, he also introduced me to darts. Greg, uh, a wonderful competitor, um, a man of of integrity and of just hard work. And so that's why we him and I really got along well. And he said, I think you want to try this out. And. Uh, and I loved it and the boards. When you go to an audio dart tournament, the boards are all accessible. Yep. When you hit the board, it tells you where you hit. <laughs> it tells you what your score is. And these tournaments are all blindfolded 
And when you play, you actually play on a regulation board. So I think you're something like 96 inches away from the board. The board is something like six feet, I guess, at the bullseye from the floor. So it's just like how sighted people play. Hmm. And it's a great game for anybody. My daughter and I sometimes play and we have fun. Sometimes I have to tell her to back up because she likes to get up close. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'm so thankful for Sam Jasmine. Uh, who designed the boards because the boards are not only vehicles of fun, but also of independence. You don't have to depend on anybody. You can have as much fun as you want for hours and hours, which I did uh, and, uh, and have uh, with my board. And, uh, and so you can reach her at audiodartmaster.com. And I believe um She's going to start selling the boards again in January. So you could, any of your listeners can get their own dartboard and have lots of fun at home, play with friends and family, and maybe even come out to, uh, to a dart tournament. Absolutely. And I appreciate you mentioning that info. I'm, I'm thinking about getting one myself. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, like you said. And I know there is, uh, I forget what it's called, but some type of device on the floor that's used to line up, you know, the, the player. Yes. Oh, you might hear my guide dog coming down. <laughs> no, you know, uh, I've got that, one too. No problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yes, the, what's on the floor is a tow board. That's right. Tow and board. The, the, the tow board is awesome because it lines you up and you feel you, I actually, when I play darts, I play in my socks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I can feel the toe board really well with my feet. Oh, I see. Um, that's cool. That's that's funny. <laughs> yes, I put both of my I put my big toes on the outer corners, just inside the outer corners, so that I'm straight ahead at the board. Yep. And then I take the I take the dart and I put it at my chin. I'm about five ten, so I put it at my put it right at my chin by my ear. And try to f- shoot right, you know, if I want a bullseye, right in front of my nose. <laughs> and uh, these guys are amazing. You know, these guys, uh, Little John and uh, Rufus, these guys, you, we got guys that are just, they can hit anywhere on the board. If you tell them to hit a 15, they can hit a 15. You tell them to hit a triple seven, they can hit a triple seven. Mm-hmm. You tell them to hit a double 20, they can hit it. I've seen people <laughs> just masters at it and they can't see as much as as much as sighted people are like i don't believe it believe it baby (laughs) (laughs) they're amazing yep and i'm curious have you had any you know as as far as achievements or tournaments that you've won anything you want to mention oh yeah we've we've won tournaments um i've won some individual tournaments um and uh, if you play long enough, you'll win. Um, <laughs> just takes the practice. That's all. Um, right. I've won doubles uh, tournaments with with Greg Unterrick, who is my my partner, and uh, and also with George Holiday, which um, people all over ACB and PCB Pennsylvania Council of the Blind they know him. So George Holiday is uh, been one of our great leaders here in uh, Philadelphia with the darts. 
you know, I haven't been as involved um, as of late recent years and then also with COVID. Um, so I know some people still actually try to play hmm. um, and they've been playing um, audio darts by um, uh, virtually by Zoom. Wow. So, Very cool. you know, everybody's on a on a uh, yes, everybody is on a, uh, of course, an honor system. So, uh, you know, they trust that everybody's standing behind their own toe boards and everybody shoots their round and then they just take turns. And uh, that's been keeping people alive. This Zoom stuff, uh, even for people playing uh, blind people playing darts. Oh, yeah. And I guess as long as you can hear, you know, your competitors dartboard speaking through Zoom. It makes it pretty accessible, you know, to to be able to do it virtually. Exactly, exactly. And you'll you'll hear them hit the board, and you'll hear them, uh, you know, do their thing. You know, so it, it works out pretty good. Um, I, I could do it for I. I maybe I'll do it for you. <laughs> a couple times. You want me to throw a couple darts at my board? Yeah, if you want to give it a whirl, sure. Uh, okay, hold on. <laughs> so. I'm going to plug in my board and uh, I've got a special board. I actually asked that the eye of the tiger be played when my board comes on. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great song for, for that occasion. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome to the audio darkness. Let's play. Press up or down arrow. So I have it on two players because me and my daughter play. Sure. Usually. And I can feel the buttons on this board and um and I'll I'll just push Round one player one four four zero zero dart. So they already told me player one, round one, your score is zero. I throw my dart. Eight, eight. Set an inside eight. Yep. Inside fourteen two. And it says inside fourteen twenty two. Inside thirteen thirty five. That's the change player button. And there's my round. Wow. Um. <laughs> yes. And uh, and so yeah, so that and I could I remember when I got this board probably, uh oh man it's it's work. At, probably a good eight, nine years ago, uh, I couldn't stop playing. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I drove my wife crazy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun with this board. So I recommend people get one. Absolutely. And Hey, you know, even, being able to play individually, it's, you know, something you can enjoy once in a while by yourself too, right? Absolutely. You can play on your own. You can compete against yourself. You can even put your name in on this thing. Hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's great. It's great. You don't, you can play, you can practice, 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 and you'll get better. And, and, and the thing is with the audio darts is you're not always going to, uh, for a beginner, you're going to miss a lot. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you're just, usually you're just going to miss a lot in the beginning. And, but this is like a little, this is like a, 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 a metaphor for what it's like living 
you know, sort of blind in a sighted world. Absolutely. Um, and we we make a lot of mistakes. I mean, you know, I I'm embarrassed about it, but it happens. How many times I bump into something? How many times I knock something over? Yep. Uh, I'm the guy that knocks over everybody's drink that like if they put it on the edge of, of the table, <laughs> I'm the guy that finds it and knocks that thing sure. over. <laughs> you know, yep. been there, done I, I, that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, if there's a puddle, I'm the one to step in it. I mean, <laughs> uh, so, so, but, and, you know, same thing with this dartboard, you, you'll miss and you'll be off and you'll feel like crap. But if you keep at it, you'll get it. And that's the same thing with adjustment to blindness, whether it be to, to be independent, to cook, to clean, uh, to get out and live life. You're going to make mistakes but you just got to keep at it. Exactly. And once you hit that bullseye or hit, you know, hit the board in a really good spot, <laughs> it's got to be such a great feeling after all the times, you know, missing or kind of getting to that point, you know, once again, kind of an analogy of, of life, like you're saying. Absolutely. And hitting that bullseye. Exactly. So, you know, that might be you finishing up, you know, a dish that you thought you couldn't make yep. or, or traveling somewhere you thought you couldn't go or, or even just making a phone call that you that you were too scared to make. Uh, absolutely. Right. That's that's awesome. And I will uh, include links to, to the information if anyone's interested in audio darts where they can find that board and, and also some demos online as well. Sweet. Okay. All right. Uh, well, again, we have been visiting with Dr. Andre Watson and Dr. Uh, Dr. Watson, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation, and you're certainly a very accomplished uh, athlete, and and also you know in your career as a psychologist. And applaud you for everything you do, you know, on that front as well. So again, thank you so much for joining me here on Eyes Free Sports. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for everything you're doing, and it's been my pleasure. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports. Sports.